Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of y'all today as we... Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Hope y'all are doing well today. Let me offer a prayer as we, uh, as we make our way here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for this uh, glorious day today. And we give you thanks and praise as well that you've given us this opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ. And we certainly pray that you'd be in the midst of us uh, and that you would not simply be in the midst of us, most gracious God, but that you would speak to us. And speaking to us, you would give us the life which is made available in you alone. And this we ask now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the title for today is um, So Shines a Good Deed in a Weary World. Um, class, anyone remember where that's from? Exactly. Not Shakespeare. Um, not Portia. So Shines a Good Deed in a Naughty World um, is a Merchant of Venice. A uh, little takeoff, exactly. Good old Willy Wonka. I'll tell you how we got the title. Um, they asked me three weeks ago for a title for this class, and, um, and I said, that sounds like a good title. Um, and so, uh, and in the, in the succeeding weeks, we'll, we'll have a class to go along with it. So, um, but anyway, it, but also, I'm going to show a clip here uh, in just a moment. But you know, one of the things, is, as y'all are aware, well aware, one of, the, one of the blessings that I have is, is to work um, to work as a pastor within the congregation. And, and obviously, uh, the tremendous blessing of that is it's the full spectrum, isn't it, uh, of, of the human condition and, and, the, full, and the full spectrum of, of life. And, and again, what a, what a tremendous blessing, uh, I know, for me personally, but not just for me personally, but, but for you all as well. What a tremendous blessing when you are invited into people's lives uh, and that when you share um, life and faith together, whether that be... Uh, the joys and the blessings of this life, whether that be the hardships and suffering and loss and trial and, and, and the full spectrum of the human condition. And, of course, God being in the midst of uh, and working in the midst of all of that. And so, uh, but, but one of the things that certainly I see no, no small amount of is, um, is just, uh, and it's not just uh, in, in ministry, uh, just in life. And, again, this is not unique to me. Y'all are familiar with this as well. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the weariness uh, and a lot of the burden uh, of, of this world. As I say, even in the midst of so many blessings, there's, there's a great deal um, of weariness. There's a great deal of burden um, that goes along with life. And so what I would invite you along with me to look at this morning is, um, basically, is, is there hope? Uh, is, there, is there good news? Is there joy? Is there life in, in the midst of all of this? Where is where's the relief? Um, and where is the hope um, in the midst of uh, the, the weariness uh, of this world? And uh, start by showing you this clip, uh, and perhaps you remember it. Um, great clip. Uh, hit the source button. It keeps, for whatever reason, it keeps phasing me out here. Yeah, you keep talking to me. It's not helping. Um, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, for, uh, here we go. Let's hopefully we won't get the, um, we won't get the, uh, yeah. Just after a brief ad, uh, we'll, have the, we'll have the clip here. The clip is toward the end of the movie, which I'll probably remember. Uh, skip ad. 
much to do, so much to do, invoices, bills, letters. I must answer that note from the Queen. Mr. Walker, what's going to happen to the other case? Augustus, Veruca. My dear boy, I promise you they'll be quite all right. When they leave here, they'll be completely restored to their normal, terrible old selves. But maybe they'll be a little bit wiser for the wear. Anyway, don't worry about them. Now, what do we do now, Mr. Walker? Oh, yes. Well, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Excuse me for not showing you out. Straight up the stairs. You'll find the way. I'm terribly busy. Whole day wasted. Goodbye, people. Goodbye. What happened? Did we do something wrong? I don't know, Charlie. But I'm going to find out.
Good old Charlie Bucket, Grandpa Joe. Yeah, man, that was something. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of my faves. While we were away, this has nothing to do with the class. While we were away uh, on vacation, um, Jack and I watched, what was the one with uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor? Um, you remember that? Richard Pryor uh, is blind and Gene Wilder's deaf. Um, and they, they, they form this, you know, this fabulous um, duo. It's not stir crazy, but it's... Silver Streak was another one. It wasn't Silver Streak because I remember Silver Streak. Um, Gene Wilder trivia. Um, we'll get back to that um, as, as, as we go forward. Great, great clip. I, I, I remember it well. Love, love that movie. And, and obviously it's not a perfect, um, it, it's not a perfect uh, correlation um, to the gospel. But one of the things as we look at, you know, an, an answer to the weary world, uh, and as we think about sort of continuing with what does discipleship um, look like? Where is the hope? Where is the answer um, to the weariness? There's a couple of things I'd, I'd like to focus on today, and this sort of begins to catapult us into them as we ref reflect. And the answer to our weariness, uh, the world's weariness, yours uh, and my weariness. And the first thing uh, I'm, we're going to talk about is the recognition of our need. Uh, secondly, um, the divine response of God. Uh, and then thirdly, the, the mercy, the love, the grace uh, poured out upon us. And then finally, um, service, um, to look at those different facets. The first thing is, is to recognize the need. One of the things I love about this clip, of course, um, is, uh, is, of course, Charlie's wonderful response. Uh, Grandpa Joe is like, you know what? A Slugworth wants a gobstopper. We're going to get him the gobstopper. We're gonna, you, you've slighted us. Um, we're going to get even. Uh, and one of the things... Um, that leads to the weariness of this world. One of the things that leads to yours and my weariness is is revenge. Uh, quite frankly, it's feeling you know what uh, I've I've got to get even. Um, someone has someone has slighted me, um, and I need to hang on to that, um, and I need to nurse it, uh, and and I need to nurse it and hang on to it. And, and quite frankly, how can anyone do something to someone so wonderful as me? Um, and so uh, at just the right time, I'm going to find the opportunity um, to re to return that. Part of one of the first things, uh, quite frankly, a relief from the weirdness as well is, is, is letting go uh, of revenge, letting go uh, of that desire to get back, to get even. We, we see with, with Grandpa Joe, he's going to, you know what, we'll, we'll fix him. He got us. Um, we're going to get him. Uh, but one of the things we see with Charlie is his recognition of, you know, basically, yeah, we, we did break the rules. Um, you know, we... We stole fizzy lifting drink. Of course, you remember that wonderful scene. Uh, they're going up toward the fan. They've got to figure out how to get down. You know, we, we, we broke the rules. You're right. Uh, I'm guilty. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and confess. Uh, and confession, uh, repentance, is one of the wonderful gifts um, that leads us um, to freedom. And confession is one of the wonderful gifts that leads us to freedom, that, that removes um, the burden of that and the weariness of that as we attempt to carry it around in our lives and, and to fix it. Um, ourselves. I remember uh, a number of years ago, I shared this not too long ago, um, funny the things, uh, it, it's, uh, it's Father's Day and I can remember um, shortly after I turned 16, uh, I was driving along uh, Ashford Dunwoody Road in Atlanta and I was driving along Ashford Dunwoody Road, you know, it's just a, a fabulous 16-year-old um, driver, I'm driving along and there was this cute girl jogging um, and and, you know, believe it or not, I was, I was looking at this cute girl that was jogging. And as I was looking at this cute girl jogging, wham, I ran right into the back of this car. You know, somehow I missed that the light had turned red. Um, so, and, and, and there it was, 
you know, smashed into. That was one of, you know, many calls to dad. You know what? Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I was. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Um, one of those. One of those moments. Well, the guilt was was clear. Uh, there was no sort of a. Uh, and there was the wonderful, at first, um, not surprisingly, I made up a story. Um, you'll be shocked to hear that at first I didn't initially come clean with, you know, Dad, here's, um, here's what happened. There was a squirrel that ran across the road, and I was swerving, trying to miss it, and, you know, the whole. Um, and then finally, of course, the, the, the true story, the true um, confession, uh, the, the forgiveness which followed, the, the, wonderful, the wonderful freedom of that, of, of confessing. So the first thing, uh, as we talk about this, is just the recognition, um, the recognition of our need, that we're people who are not um, inherently okay, we're people who are not sufficient to ourselves um, to deal with everything um, on our own. Y'all have maybe heard there's a story, uh, Martin Luther, uh, supposedly, whether apocryphal or not, supposedly Martin Luther was approached by one of his parishioners, uh, and uh, the parishioner asked him basically, um, when are you going to preach something different? Uh, it's the same thing Sunday after Sunday, the, you know, the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel. Um, and basically what was implied in that was, look, we've got that. Um, you know, we, we've, we've got it. We've got that down. We're, you know, we're ready for bigger stuff. Um, we're ready to move on because we, we know that now. And Martin Luther's response to them was, was classic. He said, well, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll start um, preaching something different um, when you show up looking like a people that believe the gospel. Um, <laughs> So in essence, when, when you show up on a Sunday and you don't look weary uh, and you don't look burdened and you don't look uh, heavy laden, when you show up actually looking like a people that believe the gospel, that have actually heard and received that good news, uh, the burden has been lifted upon you. You've been filled with the joy and the life and the completeness which is found in relationship with God. When you show up um, like that, then I'll go ahead and begin to, uh, to preach something else to you, obviously realizing that he was never going to get um, beyond the gospel and the necessity for you and for me um, to hear it again uh, and again, day uh, after day, Sunday after Sunday, the need to be reminded of the gospel because inevitably you and I try to take the reins back um, again and again. We try to delve down into our own resources to unleash and to unload on the burdens uh, of our life. And so the first thing is uh, in addressing the weariness of the world and addressing the weariness of ourselves uh, is, is to recognize um, our need, uh, repentance, repent and return to the Lord, to return to the one um, that we have need of, the one that we need um, to restore us. And secondly, um, to focus upon uh, the knowledge of God and the response of God um, to the human condition. Uh, to, to have that before us, not only um, the recognition of our need, but also to understand and to have before us continually um, the wonderful response of God. Y'all may remember um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, um, Miracles. Uh, and I don't know, some of y'all have, you know, some of y'all have perhaps read it, some of you have perhaps not, but in his book, Miracles, uh, in one chapter, the chap, uh, in one chapter, the title of that chapter is The Grand Miracle. Uh, and in the grand miracle, um, he talks about the incarnation. He talks about God's uh, identification with the human condition, God's um, coming down into the world. And I'm going to read to you a, a portion of that. I'll, I'll try not to make it overly long, but it's, it's so um, fantastic. And he says this, Lewis writes these words. He says, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, 
down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Or one may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come up into the light. Down below, where it lay colorless in the dark, um, he lost his color too. Um, I love, love that quote and return to it um, again and again. The message of um, the incarnation, that wonderful imagery which C.S. Lewis gives of, of God and his love and his grace like, like a diver, um, diving um, down, stripping down um, to nakedness uh, and going through the waters and down to the uh, ooze and slime and old decay. And it's not hard to sort of figure out what he's, uh, what he's talking about there. Uh, but then, of course, that amazing imagery uh, of his coming up and breaking the service. And then that amazing thing, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing um, that he went down to recover. And that's uh, part of the amazing message is that you and I uh, are, are simultaneously, uh, we're, the, we're the people in the ooze and the slime and the old decay. I mean, that's so much of what often dwells um, in our hearts um, and in our minds. Uh, and yet, uh, we see God's full knowledge of that uh, and not making light of that, not brushing it away, and yet um, seeking us as something precious um, that he might recover something precious that he might save, something precious um, that he might restore, that amazing uh, message of the incarnation of a God who seeks us in order that we might be, in order that we might be restored, that wonderful message uh, of, of a God who actively um, recognizes our need and not only recognizes our need, but also responds um, to our need as well uh, by taking on uh, human flesh and blood. And one of the things, and it doesn't immediately um, remove us uh, from the challenges of this world. But one of the things that we know is that uh, we have a God who's intimately familiar with those challenges. And we have a God who's intimately familiar um, with those trials. He's not distant or indifferent from those. And as I say, it doesn't immediately remove them, but we know unmistakably that in the midst of them, we're not alone. Uh, and in the midst of them, we have a God um, who fully uh, and completely understands uh, the condition of humanity and not simply understands, uh, but comes forth into the world that he might overcome it. Uh, because it's one thing to have someone with you who, who understands and cares, and that's a, that, that's a great gift. Um, but we have someone who does more than just sort of identifies and cares and understands. We have someone who's also able um, to um, redeem that situation, to remove us. Uh, from that situation. We have one who is able um, to do both of those things, that wonderful, powerful realization, the response uh, of God to you and to me, and the invitation to us um, to receive um, his mercy, the character of God. 
I don't know about y'all, and I'm sure you do, there's a, there's a number of scriptures that I'm just uh, tremendously, uh, tremendously fond of. And one of them um, that as I was thinking about this today and, and, and reflecting and praying and think about, thinking about this today, um, that addresses and, and gives, shines what I believe light and hope into the situation of our lives and the situation of the human condition uh, is the end of Mark's gospel. And uh, at the end of Mark's gospel, initially, uh, I was not a big fan of the end of uh, Mark's gospel. And, and the reason um, I didn't like it was this, because, I mean, that really matters, right, is what I think of it, uh, my particular uh, opinion on it. But what I, what I didn't like about it, I just thought, well, that, that can't be right, because if you remember at the end of Mark's gospel, um, basically we, we see that they're, they, they basically are kind of scared and they run off, uh, is, is in many ways... Uh, the end of it. And of course, uh, I wanted them to be courageous, you know, full of faith. And you know what? We've, uh, we've, we've got this and, and we're on our way and, and here we go. But it's actually, it's, it's a very different ending than what you would expect. And, I, and let me share it with you now. And uh, we hear that when the Sabbath was passed, and this is, uh, this is 16, uh, 1 through 8 is the portion that I'm reading to you. When the Sabbath was passed, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, um, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. This is a, a bit of an aside, but one of the things that gives tremendous credibility um, to the Gospels is, is the honesty with which um, they're presented because if in that particular time and culture, if you wanted um, witnesses to verify something, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have used um, these three women um, to be your witnesses or to verify um, your account. And in the court system, you had to have um, sort of the, the agreement and the support of a man to sort of have that verified and to have that true. This is, if you were making it up, you wouldn't make it up this way, in essence, is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say. You would make it up uh, much better. And instead, we have um, the honesty. Why? Because um, once they had seen the risen Lord, they didn't have to make up any stories. They thought, you know what, we don't have to dress it up and give it any power. It has power of its own. We don't need to, we don't need to instill power in it. It instills power to us and to our lives. And so they look, and they're, of course, what they expect to find is not the risen Lord, despite what he told them. What they expect to find is a body. Uh, and, of course, they come, and the, stole, the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, and entering the tomb, um, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, um, for they were afraid. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, um, for they were afraid. So as I say, at, at first I thought, well, wait a minute, that's not the way, you know, that, that's, uh, that's not the way the story's supposed to end. Uh, Y'all remember the movie The Princess Bride? 
Um, and he starts making it up, and the, and the little boy's like, wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to end. Uh, and that was kind of how I felt with this. This is not how it's supposed to end. Let me ask you this, and this is, um, we can have crickets or we can have a response here. Um, but let me go ahead um, and ask you this question. Anything in particular stand out to you, uh, the, the message that they're given to share with the disciples? And Peter, uh, exactly. Uh, that's one of the things you know. I kind of, I kind of raced by, uh, raced by for years. You're a smart person. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, that's a- absolutely right. You know, for years I just kind of ran by. You know, again, God, they were just there. They were scared. They ran off. They were trembling. They were told to go and tell the others, and they just ran off, and they were scared. And obviously, we know that's the initial response. And you know what? If you put you and me in that situation, um, that would have been our our response as well. And of course, we know that they did, in fact, go uh, and tell the others. But that, that tremendous message there, go and tell the others in Peter too. well, here's the significance of that, and here's why I bring that up. Uh, one of the things that uh, very likely happened is that um, Peter uh, had a, uh, a relationship with John Mark, who, who wrote down um, the gospel. And, and many of the things which John Mark records are things which Peter um, shared with uh, shared with John Mark. So, so Peter, in many ways, is, is, is sharing with him his eyewitness experiences. And, and, and Mark, John Mark is chronicling um, Peter's eyewitness experiences. And one of the amazing things that we see in this is the tremendous grace of God extended to you and to me. Peter, uh, of course, had said, Jesus, you know what? No matter what happens, I'm going to be with you always. Uh, you can count on me. Uh, and he was uh, in... And in fairness to him, uh, I feel certain that you and that I would not have done any better. But was it just a, he absolutely failed to do anything that he said he was going to do. Um, You know what, I'll be with you always. You can depend on me. Um, I've got your back. Um, Don't worry about it. Uh, Even if I have to die, I'll I'll be with you always. And and of course, uh, he was terrified. He was afraid. Not only um, did he pretend he didn't know Jesus, but he denied him um, vehemently. He basically brought a curse down uh, upon himself to deny any relationship with Jesus. And, and of course, we see uh, in this response the, the wonderful um, grace of God speaking words of restoration to Peter, um, Jesus, who was readily aware of what was going to happen. But here's what I want to share with you, and this is another quote. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of James Edwards who has a commentary on Mark's gospel, and he writes... Uh, on this in a, in a particularly insightful way. And this is why I think this is such tremendous um, good news, is yes, uh, it talks about um, the grace of God which forgives and restores, but also here's the amazing thing which it says as well, is the last word is given to God, um, not to you and to me. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly um, encouraging. Um, the final word is not given to you and to me. And the final word uh, is not uh, given to our performance. The final word is not given to our perfection. The final word is not a matter of how we measure up um, or don't measure up. God speaks the final word in his death and his resurrection. Uh, The final word um, is God's. And and that's something which speaks not only um, to our heads, but again, to our hearts and to our lives and and removing uh, a lot of the weariness. Because a lot of the weariness in our lives, I think, is our attempts to control things we can't control um, and to try um, and have and have the last word in situations. I just laugh because 
Um, I'm sure Paul and I are the only adult married couple that sometimes um, act childishly and try to have the final word. You always have to have the final word. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You see, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, you're we're four years old again. You know, see, I told you, you're wrong. Uh, and so it's just kind of, but we try to have the final word in situations in our lives. We try to control things which are beyond um, our control. We want to know uh, and we want to sort of grasp every facet of it. But yet the amazing freeing thing for you and for me um, is that uh, in God's divine response to the human condition, uh, he speaks the last word, and that should fill you and, we, you and me with tremendous hope. Let me read to you what Edwards has to say about that particular verse which I just shared. The angel's final word to the women is, Tell Jesus' disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This announcement, a fulfillment of 1428, is a remarkable word of grace and encouragement. The flight of the disciples, even Peter's pitiful denial, have not been the last word. It is not given to human beings to speak the last word. The last word belongs to the risen Lord. I am going before you. The first act of Jesus' ministry was the calling of four fishermen into community with himself. And the first word of the resurrected Jesus is the reconvening of the same community of disciples, the announcement of the angel is not one of deserved blame, but a promise of gathering and going before them. God completes his plans for the church despite human failure. At the word of grace, from the resurrected Lord includes a traitor like Peter, readers of the gospel may be assured that it includes those of their community who have also failed Christ. I'll read that last one again. So great. The announcement of the angel is not one of deserved blame, but a promise of gathering and going before them. God completes his plans for the church despite human failure. If the word of grace from the resurrected Lord includes a traitor like Peter, readers of the gospel may be assured that it includes those uh, of their community who have also um, failed Christ. Uh, a wonderful word uh, of encouragement to you and to me um, that the final word is, is not ours. Uh, the final word um, is, is God. A wonderful response um, a wonderful word uh, of hope, a wonderful word to address um, the weariness which we so often experience, to know that you and I are called to be people who live in relationship, people um, who serve, but people who one cannot control and don't have to control um, the final results. That's, that's left to God. And that, that frees you and I up um, to serve. It frees you and I up um, to go. It frees uh, us up to move forward. Why? Because we're, just, we're, called, to, we're called to walk with him. Um, who controls the end results, rather than thinking, you know what, you and I have to do it. Um, you and I have to make it happen. We have a wonderful freedom and that we're called into service. And of course, that's the model um, which Jesus gives, isn't it? When you think of the 13th chapter of John's Gospel, uh, Jesus says, see, I've set an example for you that you will do uh, as I've done for you. And, and what does he do? Do you remember this great example which he gives? He washes their feet. He takes um, the role of, of a servant. It's in service, uh, it's in service that we find uh, our freedom as well. Uh, it's in our service uh, to him and in him. And then finally, I'm going to share one um, final portion of scripture with you. And it's from the 14th chapter uh, of John's Gospel. And of course, one of the things which you probably think of um, right off the start as you think of the 14th chapter of John's Gospel is, of course, Jesus' words, 
um, you know, I'm going to, before you to prepare a place for you that where I am you may also be. That, you know, obviously wonderful words uh, of promise. And then he says, you know, if it were not true, I would have told you. Um, but I go before you to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms, uh, he says. Uh, but as it goes on, uh, he tells them at first at the start of that, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He tells them that because obviously he has told them that he's going to be rejected and that he's going to be um, crucified. And so he necessarily speaks those words of encouragement to not let their hearts be troubled, um, to believe in God, to believe also uh, in him. But Jesus goes on um, to say this. Uh, he goes on, and this is 1418. Um, Jesus' promise as he's going um, to the cross, uh, and it's a promise to them, it's a promise to you and to me as well, is that he will not leave us um, as orphans. Uh, that's the word he uses in John 14:18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, uh, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, uh, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest uh, myself to him. And he goes on and, and says these words, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus' promise uh, is, of course, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit that he will not leave us as orphans, but that he's going to come to us um, to be with us. Um, so the am amazing word which is given to us is that he will come to us and give to us uh, a peace greater than anything that the world can give, the understanding that he's with us. But let me finally say this. Um, he, he promises peace, but here's the reason um, that we have peace. I mean, one, obviously, because he's with us, but also... Uh, the word which is translated helper uh, is, is paraclete. And what the significance of that is, is this. Paraclete, in essence, means uh, a representative. It's, 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 it's a legal um, type terminology. It's someone to be our advocate, someone to be um, our representative. And in essence, someone um, to not only be with us, but someone to go before us, represent us, um, and to deliver us. And so that's the amazing thing which we're told about the character of God in relationship with you and me. It's a God who knows us uh, all too well and a God who seeks us um, in his love and his grace, who both uh, understands the trials and the challenges of the human condition, but doesn't just stop with understanding, but moves on to redemption uh, and to restoration to extricate us from that situation, to give us hope and to give us assurance. And a God who promises to be with us always, who will not leave us as orphans, uh, we won't be forgotten, we won't be forsaken, um, but he will be, um, yes, um, with us, but also he's going to be our advocate, um, the one um, to represent us, the one um, to go before us. That's the assurance which is given to you and to me. So I hope we hear um, uh, that good news of a God um, who in his love and his grace um, both shines his light on the weariness of this world, but also responds with power and with mercy um, that you and I might be restored. And uh, as we hear that, let us pray. Father, thank you that you um, know full well the challenges of our human condition you've identified with us, but also you've come to ransom and redeem us, most gracious God. 
Uh, Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, I pray, that we might know your peace which passes all understanding and that we might know that you are our advocate and that we would have a joy and a hope and a freedom and assurance that's based um, not in ourselves but in who you are in relationship with us. And uh, that uh, I pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.